All right, I've been talking about this idea of I identify as. It's a phrase that we hear used a lot in our culture right now as people are choosing, if you will, identities uh, for themselves. And it really is an important thing how you see you. Today, I want to talk about this idea. I identify as righteous. Somebody say righteous. Righteous. So I want to start with this scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He, meaning Father God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a pretty bold thing to say, I am the righteousness of God. Uh, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, be, you know, the, to get an identity that has been given to you by God, to recognize now I'm not just, I am not just a sinner trying to be righteous. I have been made righteous and sin is trying to pull me down sometimes. It's an identity shift that's a pretty important one. When I uh, was growing up as a teenage boy, uh, I spent most of my time looking for a way to get high somehow, some way. And, and the truth is, I remember how proud I would be about how wasted I got the day before. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I can remember saying to my friends, man, I got so wasted last night. It was awesome. Now, since I've given my life to Christ, I'm not bad to the bone. I'm righteous to the bone. Amen. Which means when I get wasted, I'm not proud of it anymore. It's just a joke, okay? Just a joke. Thank you. The Bible tells us having done all to stand, stand. You got to take a stand in what God has made you, what God has given you. Uh, and it's an amazing thing to go, my identity is I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Righteousness is literally a right standing with God. And what I want to spend some time talking about for a few moments today is that righteousness, a right standing with God, is not earned by my behavior, it's received by my faith. And to learn uh, the concept of being justified by faith. It's a theological term, uh, but uh, it, it is pointing to this idea that I am not earning a right standing with God by how good I've been, uh, but righteousness is a gift. Everybody say that. Righteousness is a gift to be received. I am right with God. You can be right with God because of what Jesus has done for me, and I accept that and I embrace that into my life. You can never be good enough to make it to heaven. You're gonna mess up somewhere along the way. 
You're going to say something wrong, think something wrong, do something wrong, go to the wrong place, get involved in the wrong thing. It's just going to happen in the life of a human. It's kind of like this. It's like if, if you and another person were going to have a swimming uh, match and you were going to swim from California to Hawaii, uh, the truth is that one of you might swim further, might, one of you might swim more beautifully, one of you might swim faster, but the, there's no way you're going to make it to Hawaii on your own. Somebody's going to have to help you. And the idea of being righteous in God's eyes is no matter how good you might be, no matter how beautiful you might be living, no one is good enough to earn a right relationship with God. It's a gift that's given to us. It's the great exchange. We exchange our sin for his righteousness. We exchange our sorrow for his joy. We exchange our poverty for his prosperity. And I think the, the rub comes sometimes where people have not made a distinction yet between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. The Old Covenant was basically built on commands to be obeyed. The New Covenant is built on promises to be received. So Hebrews uh, chapter eight kind of describes this whole concept of Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. Hebrews eight verse six says, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. Everybody say a better covenant, which has been built on better promises. So Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, a new covenant, the New Testament covenant that's built on better promises. The emphasis of the Old Testament is obedience to rules and behavior. The emphasis of the New Testament is faith and a relationship with God. So I'm gonna take you on a little journey uh, and for some of you guys, this you'll go, wow, that's great. For some of you guys, will go, holy cow, what are you talking about? I'm here to help all of us. Colossians 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance. Everybody say the appearance. They have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The concept of this whole chapter in Colossians and really the whole book of Colossians is Christianity is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And it will ultimately always boil down 
to your, my personal relationship with Jesus. And what I observe uh, through all the years is that there does seem to be a drift effect that people will want to turn Christianity into something other than being about a relationship with Jesus. So it can become political, and especially in the day that we live in, that can be become somebody, somebody's deal and somehow becomes political. Uh, the, the truth is, it always boils down to relationship. Not rules, relationship. When you have a relationship with somebody and you really care for them, you are going to abide by things that would protect that relationship. It's not the rules that are telling you what to do. It's the relationship that's guiding your heart, right? So, you know, you got the story about Mary and Martha. Remember this, Luke chapter 10. Here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his words and connecting with Jesus. Here is Martha running around, you know, uh, worried and distracted by all her preparations. And she gets aggravated with Mary and says to Jesus, Jesus, why don't you get her to help me out? <laughs> Can you help a sister out? And, uh, and Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You know, when, when Jesus says your name twice, it's like when your parents use your middle name. Like, Kirk Dennis, I knew I was in trouble. Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted about all this other stuff, but Mary's chosen the one thing that will not be taken away from her, the relationship that she has with Jesus. The Bible says here in Colossians that we have died with Christ to the world. Now, the world is a system of thinking, a system of beliefs. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is a system of thinking and beliefs centered around a relationship with Jesus, centered around the way God describes how life should be. The world has a way of thinking and beliefs that's totally opposed to the kingdom of God. And what I want to say to us is don't sink to letting the world try to define the terms of your relationship with God. Because the world is always wanting it to look like don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. But it's not just about that. So, there are some people in the, in the world, they would think Christianity is all about helping the poor. I believe that we should help the poor, but how many of you know you don't have to be a Christian to help the poor, right? Uh, Christianity is all about being nice, all about being loving, all about not being judgmental. That's the world defining what a Christian should be. I always think it's interesting. I don't really watch CNN anymore, but I've seen interviews of spiritual leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, uh, and the, the immediately they'll start asking questions like, all right, so how do you feel about homosexuality? How do you feel about, you know, how do good things happen to bad people? In other words, they're asking questions that are, tell me about the rules. Tell me about what we should not taste, not touch, not handle. 
trying to make Christianity all about that instead of about a relationship with Jesus. The world is trying to define a relationship with God by rules. And they're missing the point that it's a relationship. It's... Thank you, all 17 of you. I appreciate that a lot. I'm going to take it further, so uh, hang in there. The word elementary, uh, the elementary principles of the world literally means uh, letters lined up in a row. It means the alphabet. It's, it means to live by rule. The elementary principles uh, that the world tries to impose on a relationship with Jesus is, his, they don't see it as a real relationship. It's do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Tries to make Christianity about something that it's not about at all. When, when, when God put Adam and Eve into the garden, he created a paradise, a blessed life, and a blessed place. That was his original intention for mankind. Everything they needed was there. Everything was good. Everything was beautiful. Everything was great. They were in a blessed paradise. There was one thing that God said, don't do this. One thing. A million beautiful things, a million great things, a million things that were about blessing their life, one thing, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when the devil in the form of the serpent shows up and immediately tries to point Eve to this, did God say you could not? In other words, it was the devil that was making Eve focus on the one prohibition. It, you follow my thinking? The, the devil was the one that caused not to focus. The devil didn't go, you have got it made. This ain't fair. No, he, had to, he wanted to focus her relationship with God on the one prohibition they were given. And I'm here to tell you that relationship with God is not defined by what you can't do what you shouldn't do. It's rather more of a focus on the promise of God to lift your life. It's recognizing that God intends to bless you, to empower you, to give you a free spirit. And what I've found is that if the enemy can't get us trapped in sin, he loves to get us trapped in legalism. So tries to make it all about do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. And the Bible says these things appear to be wisdom. They, but it's a self-made religion. It's self-abasement. It's severe treatment of your body. But the Bible says it's actually of no value. Let me read you another passage. 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. We see that happening, don't we? 
deconstruction kind of ideas taking place. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. This is the doctrine of demons, right? Men who forbid marriage advocate abstaining from foods which God has created, marriage and food, to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So literally, what this passage is saying to us is the doctrine of demons is abstain and forbid. Forbid marriage, which is a natural thing, abstain from eating, which is a natural thing. Here's what I want to say. When you suppress legitimate human desire in the right boundary, illegitimate things squirt out of what legalism tries to do to you. I want to be careful because I don't mean to come down on any particular part of the body of Christ. I was raised Catholic. uh, And all of our priests were instructed to not get married. Grown men, you couldn't get married. Over the years, there's been so much stuff come out about illegitimate sexuality in the priesthood that probably would not have been such an issue if they just were allowed to get married like a normal man. Can you hear what I'm saying? Right? The Bible says, and this it's all good. Created to be gratefully shared in, everything created by God is good. And what I think this is saying to us is this. To characterize God as someone primarily interested in what you can't do and what you shouldn't do is a total misrepresentation of who God is. Don't misunderstand me. I I, I have have something in me wants to qualify on this, but I'm not going to qualify too much because the Word of God doesn't qualify too much. It's not that there aren't some things that are wrong and right. There are definitely things that are wrong and right. But my right standing with God is not built on whether I smoked a cigarette or not. Smoking won't send you to hell, make you smell like you've been there, but so I started, my teenage years were looking for a way to get high pretty much every day of my life. Then right after, on May 18th is my birthday, I turned 18, May 29th, I gave my life to Christ. And honestly, my, my salvation was 
this radical 180, night to day, gutter to God, I mean, complete turnaround. I mean, I got saved. I got born again. It's the kind of salvation I'm praying for to happen in our church on a regular basis. It happened to me. But the culture I was raised up in was a a little uh, Assembly of God church and we were spiritually raised up to abstain from everything. So, so the idea is, you know, we, we burned all our records, albums. We, we, weren't, we were encouraged not to listen to the radio at all. I had, I had this collection of Mardi Gras doubloons in New Orleans, and uh, I like collecting stuff, and it was worth a decent amount. And we were just encouraged to purge all that out, get all of that out. Some of you guys have been raised in, in uh, culture, church culture, religious culture, where women were, are not allowed to wear pants. Uh, they're not allowed to cut their hair. If you get a tattoo, you're wrong. I don't have any tattoos, right? No bumper stickers on this Porsche. All right. It's it's more like no bumper stickers on this Volkswagen Beetle. Uh, But uh, (laughs) also, when I look back to what I thought looked great 20 years ago, thank God it's not permanently embedded into my skin. Anyway. But if you want to have a tattoo, just go right ahead with yourself. What we were being taught was if it's culturally hip, current, relevant, it's probably wrong. Uh, That the latent power of the soul from Watchman Nee, if any of you guys know of his writings, your, your, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, always at war with your spirit. So there were a lot of don'ts, there were a lot of can'ts, there were a lot of should not. And I, and I know in my heart that our leaders, our pastors, you know, they weren't trying to be legalistic. They were trying to be holy. I believe that with all my heart. But we became legalistic. And I never heard a message about embracing culture, embracing beauty, color, life, fun, empowerment, blessing, abundance. Those were never topics that ever got talked about. It wasn't so much that they, they gave us all these rules, but we were all given the impression, the more you abstain, the more you forbid, the more holy you are or the more holy you'd become. And I, I'm saying to you, just because there's a lot of ungodly stuff on the radio doesn't mean it's all wrong. Hello. Just because there's a lot of ungodly stuff in the movies or on TV, I mean, I, I could go all the way around however many channels we have and turn the TV off because there's nothing I've, feel like I want to watch, 
But there doesn't mean it's all bad in and of itself. We were, we were missing what was beautiful, what was, what was part of our culture, what was colorful. Because listen, we were more focused on our holiness in behavior than we were focused on God's goodness. And I'm, I'm here to shine a light for us to understand that your right standing with God comes by a gift that you could not ever earn. It's given to you and your faith goes, yes, for me. I don't know for years, when I, my wife can tell you when I, we first met, I was still, the script in my mind was, my strong dedication is gonna be enough. But I finally realized it isn't my dedication to keeping the rules. Honestly, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not my dedication is my strength. So what Colossians is telling us is that the elementary idea is focused on do not. The mature, opposed to elementary, is be discerning. When you preach the gospel, if it doesn't feel like you're giving too much permission and too much freedom you're not really preaching the gospel. Somebody say amen, just because you trust me. Just say amen. This is what happened to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was preaching that where sin abound, grace much more abound. So people were saying, well, if that's true, then we should sin more so more grace would happen. Hello, which is what a lot of dumb people do now. Romans 6.1, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And I love the way uh, there's a famous uh, English-British pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you looked at him, he looks kind of like Winston Churchill. You could, you could just hear him looking at his picture. You can just hear him going, Haroof. this is one of those kind of guys, conservative guy, but very strong preacher. He says, if it's true that where sin abounded, grace is much more abounded, well then, people say, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound yet further? He says, first of all, let me make a comment. To me, a very important and vital comment. The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace alone always leads to the possibility of this charge being brought against it. There's no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this, that because you're saved by grace alone, it doesn't matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will rebound all the more to the glory of God. He's saying this is a very, in other words, he's saying gospel preaching the New Testament 
concept of righteousness and salvation puts you so close to being misunderstood that people could take it too far the wrong way. This is a very good test of gospel preaching. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation doesn't expose it to that misunderstanding, then it's not the gospel. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Somebody should have said amen. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. It's just this, the rules are not the way you get there. Relationship is how you get there. Rules are the elementary issue. Relationship is the grown-up issue. Walking with God is not about how good you are. Walking with God is about how good God is. And if we could, if we could get this, and I'm saying this isn't something you, like you get, you get it one day and you're forever got it. Obeying rules is not the path to gain God's approval. To make Christianity more about abstaining and forbidding, we're missing the point. It. What the New Testament is teaching us is God is for you. God wants to help you live an abundant life. He has dreams for you. He has color for your life. He has life for you. He has promises for you. He has blessing for you. He has good in store for you. Last scripture passage, and then I want to pray. 2 Corinthians 1.18, as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it's yes in him. Here's the verse. For as many as are the promises of God, in him, in Jesus, they are yes. Therefore, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Here's what this verse is telling us. God is more yes than no. Right? Just as the garden was all yes, one no. To walk with God is more about holding on to the promise of God than about your good behavior. Because listen, when I make it about my behavior, I become the center. But when I make it about the goodness of God and the promise of God, He becomes the center. Come on. Because when that thing shifts inside of your heart where 
all of a sudden my motivation to obey God is not built out of I'm striving to get your approval, but rather I'm obeying because I love you. I'm obeying because of what you have done for me. I'm obeying because the lift of your promise has done something incredible in my life. Hey, listen, maybe you have felt like you're not good enough. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying in church. Therefore, you need forgiveness too. Maybe, maybe, and you know why you feel like you can't keep up? Because you can't. Maybe you felt inadequate. You are. Maybe you felt like you can't keep all the rules. You can't. But there is a God who wants to give you the gift of a right standing with him. He's a, he is a God who loves you. He's a God who wants to bless you. He's a God that wants to keep you. He's a God that wants to help you. Amen. Come on. How about we let God be God in our Christianity? I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes, if you would, please. Father, I pray for every person in this room that has felt like, I don't have what it takes. That somehow the lights will come on for us to see the promise of God, the goodness of God, and let our faith, God, rise up to apprehend that for our life. Father, I pray for that person who has <clears throat> labored under the cloud of legalism, that you are setting them free to enjoy their relationship with you, to walk with you, to have a free spirit in the way that they live life with God's help. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I gotta take this moment. Maybe you're here today and you have never actually surrendered yourself in a real way to Jesus, to his love, to his lordship, I would love to pray with you. Or maybe you're here and the truth is, for you're not where you used to be in your relationship with God, where you wanna be, where you know you could be, you should be. And I don't know what's happened and I don't know that it matters really, except to say, you're here, God is speaking to your soul, calling you back to himself. And I wanna pray with you. Maybe you just don't feel confident about where you stand with God. So in just this last moment together, nobody's looking around. I just wanna pray with you. You wanna surrender to Jesus. You wanna come back to Jesus. You wanna be sure you're right with Jesus. If any of that speaks to your heart and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me uh, on this? I, I, really, I want this, I, I want this in my life. Would you lift your hand real high right now and say, yes, that's me. God bless you all over the room. Come on, right here, God bless you. On this side, God bless you. Come on, all over the room, just in an honest moment, not saying, get your act together. I'm saying, would you surrender your heart 
Would, would, you, would you let Jesus in to your life? Anybody else? Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. Thank you for hands lifted all over the room. This is for you, but I'd love for us all just to pray this together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life as my Lord. I know I've sinned, I've messed up, but I come to the cross where you have paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start and a new beginning as I receive Jesus as the Lord of my life. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Amen. Beautiful.